The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today, we're so lucky we have one of my heroes here. This is the guy, Lou Shapiro, who's the head of the world's greatest orthopedic hospital. And as an orthopedic surgeon who accidentally got into neurodiversity, we're going to find out from Lou where those two intersect. And how is it that you're able to get everyone's brain on the same page to run the greatest orthopedic institution in the world, bar none? Lou, welcome to Different Brains. Thank you. Nice to be here. Good to meet you. Well, I'm very excited about this. Uh, how did you get into running the world's greatest hospital? That's a good. That's a good question. Um, so, you know, I began my journey in this field thirty-five to forty years ago uh, when I decided um, I wanted to go into um, healthcare. After I figured out I couldn't go into medicine to be a doctor. Chem, Chem 23 <laughs> sent me the management route as opposed to the clinical route. I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, yeah, but I, start, I started off um, you know, uh, a long time ago when the field was much simpler than it is today, you know, wanting to have an impact in healthcare, uh, um, thinking I wanted to do it through hospitals. And I began, you know, I began that, you know, part one was at a big hospital system in Pittsburgh. Yeah, part two was at a big uh, um, global consulting firm uh, called McKinsey. Uh, chapter three was at a, a very large integrated delivery system in Pennsylvania called Geisinger. And um, you know, through, through all of those parts of my career, um, it's just about you know, how, how can you as an individual um, have an impact in the organization that you're part of, you know, on the people that you you serve, and it's just you know it's it's the same it's the same thing, but you know impact is measured differently, and the people you serve may be different. And then you know I got to a point where um, I thought I had learned enough, where I wanted to have more independent accountability for having an impact, and you can do that. You know, mostly when you're in the most senior position. And when I was at Geisinger, you know, I just felt like I wanted to go somewhere that, um, I, I mean, I had a little bit of geographic preference for East Coast um, as opposed to Central Pennsylvania. Um, and um, I just wanted to go to an organization that I felt had some DNA associated with it that was um, that would you know, allow it to achieve something that maybe you know most people would think wasn't achievable, and it had nothing to do with the size or shape of the organization. It had to do with you know something that was less tangible. Um, so I had no unique unique interest in orthopedics or you know anything in particular. It's really about you know, helping people and having an impact. And you know, I came here um, in 2005 for my first interview. Wasn't quite sure 
you know, met some people, thought, oh, there's something going on here, and then met some more people, and uh, you know, before you know it, they invited me to join, and I was, I was, um, you know, infatuated with what I saw as the potential of the organization and thought it was a place that I could stay for the duration, uh, whatever that whatever that meant. And that was you know, that was you know, 13, uh, 13 and a half years ago. And and came here to um, have an impact. And um, you know, that's what we're trying to do. Wow. Well, you know, I remember when I started my solo orthopedic practice down here in South Florida and then started recruiting subspecialists from all over the country and it grew into kind of a big thing. And we ended up in all three counties and ultimately got acquired by a publicly traded company. But our mantra was in keeping one culture was treat every patient like it's your own family and you won't have any problems. What is the one thing, the mantra that you've used at the hospital for a special surgery, keeping everybody on the same page? Um, you know, I think there, whether, whether it's the, you know, the, the mantra, the mantra, you know, changes, um, a bit to keep things fresh. The, the things that there's a there's a few things that don't change. Uh, one is to be um, eternally dissatisfied with your with what you've accomplished. So you know, we're we're you know, we're on a journey. We're, we're on a journey to be the best in the world at what we do. We're on a journey to be better than we were yesterday or last year or the year before. And you're remembering that um, there are a few ingredients and in that there are a few ingredients as part of that um, journey. Um, you know, one is that um, you know, culture you know, is a strategy that allows organizations to attain a level of performance that is otherwise unattainable. So you know, what, what is it about the culture of an organization that allows you to attract and retain the very best people um, and um, you know, create an environment that gives them what they need to do their job? Um, allows them to participate in leading the organization alongside of you. Um, and um, I think being, you know, purpose, you know, being purpose-driven. And, um, you know, that's, you know, e e either we've been lucky and have been consistent with our performance over 13, you know, over a long period of time. Before I got here, and since I came here, um, or, you know, I think we found um, some of the ingredients that work, whether you're at um, a orthopedic hospital, a general hospital, or you know, any, kind of, any kind of organization that is you know, interacting with um, the public in some way. You know, we've read a lot in uh, 
the doctor's literature lately about burnout and mental health issues in phys with physicians. Um, do you have any kind of support system or is that a problem at the hospital for special surgery or what can you comment about that? Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's, a, it's a problem. It's, it, I don't like to characterize things as a problem, but burnout is an, an issue anywhere. If you talk to someone where they say it's not an issue, they're just not aware of it. Um, so your bur burnout comes from a lot of things. Uh, one of the things that it comes from is losing control over what's important to you. So, you know, people, you know, some of the literature talks about you know, the electronic health record or talks about the insurance companies or you know, you're spending time on things that are different than what you came into the field for, you know, documenting, you know, medical records, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, or money, economics. So you know, th those are those are realities. And, you know, forget about forget about crises, right? So we're you know, we're you know in the middle of you know, continuous crises that's rocking the world and everyone that's every in the country and everyone that's part of it. But I think one of the things that we have tried to do is cause people to not lose control of their environment. So this concept of leadership by all and shared leadership, which we try to embrace, um, is something that gives people a voice and gives them a sense that they're not at the mercy of the external environment and they have some control over their destiny. At the same time, that's not enough. And under, um, uh, under um, you know, Brian Kelly's leadership, um, who you know, Brian is our surgeon in chief and medical director. Um, last year, we put a renewed emphasis on uh, wellness and resiliency for the medical staff. Uh, we had a lot of programs for the general employee, employee population. We have about 6,000 employees here. Um, and then, you know, just to fast forward, um, COVID came and, you know, wellness and burnout sort of, it got shielded a little bit because you had this massive rush of adrenaline that allowed, allowed you to power through this. But we recognized that this was a problem. We brought in this individual um, by the name of Steve Forte. Steve, it was a Green Beret. Uh, turned critical care nurse, and we brought him to lead crisis management. And then we recently, in fact, we just really we announced it internally. Um, I think this it was either last week or this week. We appointed Brian and I appointed Steve as the uh, our first chief wellness and resiliency officer and are announcing this week the creation of a wellness and resiliency resiliency council so that we have a, um, a coherent set of programs that are together focused on helping our workforce, 
our medical staff and organization to pay attention to wellness at the level we need to pay attention to and to make sure that our individuals, whether regardless of whether you're a surgeon, a scientist, a nurse, or anyone else who's part of the team here, um, is resilient to the pressures and stresses of the external environment. Um, and again, it's part of this you know, a never-ending journey that we're on. Whatever we've accomplished in this area, great, not good enough. What's, what's our game plan for the next six months, the next five years? And that's part of our strategic roadmap to 2025 to make sure that we remain focused on those most important things that will allow us to fulfill the purpose of the organization, which I talked about before, which is to help people get back to what they need and love to do better than any place in the world. That's our purpose. If we don't fulfill that purpose, then we have no purpose. So we need to be constantly identifying things that the organization needs to do on that journey. Wellness and resiliency, that's a brilliant approach because everything going on now with coronavirus, it's on steroids, you know, coming up. Yeah, you know, it's, um, again, the stress from the pandemic created an adrenaline, adrenaline rush that allowed people to power through this. Um, without the adrenaline rush, you feel, you feel the drain and um, it wouldn't be um, unexpected for individuals or groups of individuals or even organizations to suffer symptoms that are you know, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder related. And um, you know, ignoring it um, will not make it go away. Um, and the problems that are going to result from this are problems that we, ne we, we may not have necessarily seen yet. So um, you know, intervening early is better than intervening late. And that's what we're trying, that's what we're trying to do. Could you walk us through the patient experience at HSS? And I know it's probably a bit different now in these coronavirus times, but as one who's marveled at your super website and your organization, um, take us through the patient experience at HSS. Well, you know, so you know, we're, as you know, we're a very large um, musculoskeletal health provider that has a strong academic foundation of teaching, research, and innovation. And we're located in, you know, our main campus is located in Manhattan with outpatient centers throughout the tri-state area and a new um, significant ambulatory facility in Florida. So you know, no, no one needs to come here. There's not one individual that must come here. Everyone who comes here makes a active decision that, uh, sorry, that was Siri talking. Um, everyone who comes here is making an informed decision that this is where they want to come to get their musculoskeletal health care. Um, 
if you if we only took care of patients that came from the Upper East Side, where we are the closest hospital, that would be around six percent of our activity. Um, so ninety four percent of our patients pre COVID and now post COVID. Now that we're up to you know seventy five percent of where we were before, um, you know, is driving by or flying over another really good place to get here. So the patient, you know, the patient needs to um, understand that they're gonna come here and they have a pretty good chance of getting the outcome that they want, that they need, uh, that the right care is being delivered, um, that the comp that the likelihood of something going awry is lower here than anywhere else. Um, and that, you know, the patient experience, you know, speaks for itself. So word of, you know, our website can be great. I mean, it is, it gives people lots of information uh, from which they can process a decision. And then, you know, other physicians, you know, people like yourself may say, you know, I've given, you know, it's time, I, when I hear like, it's time for you to go to HSS, right? So, so patients will decide on their own to come here. Um, and they've heard about us, word of mouth, you know, being informed consumers um, in one way or another. Um, and or where someone tells them they, they have to, to come here. So um, you know, every step of the process needs to be excellent and without friction. And we're nowhere near as good as we need to be. We're getting better every day. You, know, you go to your our website, you call a number, there's many ways to get in. You come here when you you know, you know early in your musculoskeletal health problem or late in your musculoskeletal health problem. And, you know, everyone uh, from the beginning to end, even though we take care of thousands of patients every day, in beginning, first, first impression, visiting our website or making a phone call to last impression, which is when you don't need us anymore. You know, er everyone you interact with um, is treating you like an individual, is caring, is listening, is attending to your needs, is doing the right thing. And, um, you know, minimizing the number of times you get any, any of those things wrong. Um, it's not, it's, it's not a rocket science. It is, um, you know, paying attention to the details. And it goes back to um, something that um, I think a lot of organizations could pay more attention to with, you know, with a lot, a lot do, but you know, the culture of an organization and how the individuals who work in the organization feel about being part of the organization and the role they play in um, allowing the organization to do what it does for patients.
you know, can you talk a little bit about the pediatric aspect of things where there's so much overlap with developmental abnormalities and genetic problems? I remember one of the best years I ever spent in my life was at the Shriners Hospital, what was then called the Hospital for Crippled Children in Springfield, Mass. But there was so much tremendous overlap with support that was needed on so many levels. Can you comment on that at the Hospital for Special Surgery? Yeah, you know, um, HSS uh, was founded 157 years ago, or thereabouts, in 1863, um, uh, largely, largely as a children's hospital. It was called the. It was founded by an organization called the Society for the Relief of the Ruptured and Crippled, and they founded the the, the hospital for the relief of the ruptured and crippled. It was largely taking care of children. So, you know, over the course of um, those 150 years, you know, that core mission has been maintained, but obviously we've gotten much bigger. So we have the you know, Learner Hospital for um, children, um, and that's sort of a hospital within a hospital. And we have, you know, a core group of, you know, pediatric orthopedic surgeons and um, uh, pediatric rheumatologist and pediatricians um, that provide the core of the care. And then just like we do on the adult side, we have some subspecialists. But importantly, importantly, as you indicated, it's a complex set of um, specialists who care in all kinds of different things. So pedi pediatrics is you know, self-contained here, uh, but also you know, we're part of an important broader medical community that is through our relationship with Wild Cornell Medicine, which is the medical school that we have um, a partnership with uh, as part of our education mission. So that's, that's a key part of it as well. Shifting now for a bit to the uh, emotional and uh, mental health issues, as well as neurodiversity in any population. Um, when people come for very, very complex surgery, let's say you're adults there, um, you have psychiatrists and psychologists on staff only as needed and consultations. Can you speak a little bit about that? I can speak a little bit about that. Uh, there's probably other members of our team that could speak more, but you know, the um, I would say over the course of time, things that we were more dependent on the community to deliver to our patients uh, have been brought into the organization. Um, so there is you know, people's um, incoming status, their health status, including their mental health, um, influences their outcomes. So we do have psychologists and psychiatrists on staff as part of our team to deal with those issues. Um, you know, obviously, um, you know, the, the uh, epidemic that you know, preceded COVID was the opioid epidemic. 
and you know, people who have dependency on opioids for one reason or another, um, you know, that, that you know, significantly, sometimes that drives them here because some of those issues may have been the result of um, a track record of pain that was dealt with with opioids. Um, and they're coming here for care to deal with their original pain problem. So you know, those things needed to be identified up front, detected, treated, and then cared for through the surgical, you know, through the through the acute phase and in the post-acute phase. So those kinds of resources um, have been added to the organization. And just other things that you know, relate to people's you know, mental health status. Um, has has an impact on you know, their commitment to investing in their treatment and recovery, and has become you know, more more mainstream in the organization. Probably lots more to do in that area. Lou, if there were one thing that somebody like me, forget I'm an orthopedic surgeon or anything, just a layperson, if there's one thing somebody like me would not get about HSS, the Hospital for Special Surgery. What might that be? Um, that we're, we're not about surgery. We're, we're about you know, taking care of your musculoskeletal health care before you have a problem, when you have a problem, and through whatever you need to get back to what you need and love to do, right? And that's the you know, the underlying underlying purpose. Don't don't um, don't be don't be confused by your name. Well, and you know that is so well said. When I commuted from here in Fort Lauderdale for thirty years up to Boston University, my alma mater, to give the first year medical students their first clinical anatomy lectures. It, it was, you got to look at the whole patient. It's a whole patient. It's not just a bone or a wrist or a foot. Yeah, we do. Um, we operate on about 35,000 people a year. And almost 200,000 people come to us for care. So it's only 15, it's only 15% of the patients that we um, interact with that ultimately need surgery. Well, there you go. That's those are real doctors, and that's a real hospital. And so many of us really admire what uh, you and your great team have built there. Um, I'd also just like to say a word, a little bit about your excellent media. You know, the uh, that terrific, powerful video that HSS made on the COVID. Uh, you know, um, could you comment a little bit about the importance of organizations being able to? communicate, especially in today's social media and multimedia world? I mean, you know, uh, the, the world is complicated and there's a, lo there's a lot of noise out there. And, you know, everyone is living their, their life and you only have the opportunity to interact with them when they're ready to interact with you. So whether, whether we're talking about what is HSS about from a consumer point of view or whether we're talking about you know, what HSS is about 
from a uh, employer point of view, it doesn't matter, whatever, whatever it is that we're trying to communicate to whomever we're trying to communicate, you have to be able to tell the story in a way that um, is, that captures their attention. Depends what you want as the, as, as the outcome. And, you know, the crisis, you know, was a moment, and, and, I, and I don't know that HSS was, everyone has a story to tell that is a story worth telling during the crisis. Uh, but for, for, for us, it was a moment of truth for us about um, how um, HSS viewed its responsibility to society. And we saw something happen here that um, we weren't expecting. Um, and it was a complete transformation of what we were doing, not how we did things, but what we were doing to serve the community. And we saw this, we saw this, transfer, this transformation happening before our eyes. Yeah, it was intentional, it was designed, it was planned, but when you saw it happening, it was, um, you know, it was remarkable. So we wanted to document it and we wanted to document it for um, historical reasons. And we wanted to document it because um, you always need to tell your story for whatever reason you're, you're, you wanted to tell it. Um, and um, you know, that's, that's what we, you know, that's what we did. It's easy to tell a story when you have a good story to tell. Lou, is there anything we haven't discussed today that you'd like to discuss about HSS? No, I think I, I just want to you know, maybe just you know, thread the needle through this. Um, and you know, it's um, obviously we're in a in a um, stage of evolution in the world where technology is driving change at a very rapid rate and the rate that organizations are changing is exponential because of technology. You know, whether it's going to outer space uh, or um, artificial intelligence or robotics. Um, I mean, the, 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 the pace of change because of technology is extraordinary. But um, don't forget about the importance of people and talent and culture as the engine for that. And that's the engine in HSS that allows us to do what we do. And it should be the engine that's part, part of anything as the world goes forward, dealing with whatever it is that we're dealing. That is very, very well said, very well said. Um, well, Lou Shapiro, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule here at Exploring Different Brains. How can our audience learn more about you? I'm not that interesting. Uh, you should just learn about HSS, HSS, 
not EDU. I'm just here to help us do what we need to do. Well, doing a great job. And I know you're humble and modest. And I look forward after this coronavirus is over, maybe coming up to uh, to visit your, you and your great HSS in person sometime. Welcome anytime. Thank you. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.